Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, March 12, 2023. It focuses on God's humbling of King Nebuchadnezzar when the man became full of himself. The message to all who will listen is God can be trusted to humble us when we become filled with pride. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. All right, let's pray and invite God to come and speak to us this morning. God, thank you that you are here and that your spirit is willing and able to speak truth into our hearts. I pray, God, that you will open up truth so that each of us here today can hear you and understand what you have for us. God, help me to stay out of the way and to allow you to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So somewhere in this world, unless it's been destroyed, which is highly likely, textbooks don't have a long shelf life, right? Somewhere in this world is a biology textbook that has on several pages notations that say, Mike was wrong. If you were able to find the notations in this particular book, once issued to a student at Friends Bible College, now Barclay College, and compare the handwriting of those notes to the handwriting of the regular attenders of this church, you would find a match. Her handwriting has not changed much. The person who penned each and every one of these notes is not here this morning. She is attending a wedding in Haviland, Kansas just a few blocks from where she first noted my lack of correctness in 1984. I am the mic in question, by the way, if you haven't figured that out already. Uh, I am the mic in question, and I was indeed wrong on a regular basis in this particular freshman biology class. I don't dispute the facts at all. Well, earlier this week when I asked the writer of these notes for permission to use this story, I was assured by her that I was not at all humbled by her constant notation of my mistakes. She then reminded me of a better example of being humbled, which I will share with you later on. Enough of my overly confident self of yesteryears. We need to talk about the next chapter in the story of Daniel, his friends in the, their forced verbo vacation in Babylon. If you haven't already done so, open your Bible to Daniel chapter 4. The story put forward in this chapter is a bit different than the others that we've looked at because the focus isn't so much on our Hebrew boys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but on King Nebuchadnezzar himself. The majority of this chapter seems to be a letter that was written by Nebuchadnezzar to the peoples that he rules. It is a God-exalting testimony of a time when he was humbled before the one he better late than never calls the Most High God. Babylon's ruler acknowledges God as trustworthy in humbling things. And we're going to see that as we move along. So listen as I read the first three verses of chapter 4. This is the introduction of the Babylonian monarch's correspondence with his subjects. Daniel 4 begins with these words. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. 
It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So these are the words of the same king who 30-some verses ago set up this gigantic idol and demanded that everybody worship it. This is the same God who threatened death to all who would not bow. He's the same king who followed through and tossed three of the four heroes into the blazing furnace. We talked about that last week. Brief side note, I've always wondered, where was Daniel in Daniel chapter 3? According to gotquestions.com, there's three possible explanations. Daniel, who was ruler over the province of Babylon and in charge of all the wise men, had been sent away on an assignment by Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he was out of town. You know, you don't have to bow down if you're not in town when this happens. Second, because of Daniel's promotion to this place in the royal court, Nebuchadnezzar had exempted Daniel from the command to bow down. Or three, Daniel, in fear of being executed, or to appease the king bowed down to the golden statue. Now, of all these options, number one's the only one that really makes much sense to me. I can't imagine that Nebuchadnezzar would have made any exception to his decree. I mean, a megalomaniac who builds a 90-foot tall, 9-foot wide statue and tells everybody to bow down is probably not going to make an exemption for somebody who's in his court. Probably not. And Daniel bowing out of fear doesn't make a lot of sense because we're going to see in a couple of weeks when we get to the lion's den story that he, over a much smaller issue, uh, or maybe not smaller, but a different issue, is unwilling to stop praying. So it doesn't seem that either one of those makes sense. But the Bible doesn't tell us what Daniel was up to in chapter 3, so all that speculation, of course, still I thought it worth thinking about. Where was Daniel when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood and the rest bowed? So, back to King Nebuchadnezzar chapter 4. It seems that this guy was deeply affected by God's work on behalf of the four men that we've been following since chapter 1. He's seen God reveal and interpret a dream. He's seen God save his own people from death by fire. We saw him praising God at the end of chapter 3 last week and verse 28. You remember these words? Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. So his praise of the most high god here in chapter 4, it's very similar to that, but seems more personal. It's due to miraculous signs and wonders done for, or to, the king himself. You can see that in verse 2. The rest of this chapter is a recounting of the events which are likely the catalyst for this change of heart toward God, the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So skip down to verse 9. I don't think we need to read verses 4 to 8 because they're just introduced the problem, another dream which disturbs the king, and the failure of the wise men in Babylon to come up with an adequate interpretation. In verse 9, we find Daniel called by his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. We find him in the throne room, hearing from the king's lips a description of this nightmare that had troubled him. So we're going to pick up at verse 9 and read verses 9 through 18. This is the king speaking. I said, 
Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, all the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let them be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Belteshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. First off, kind of crazy dream. Big tree cut down, angels telling them to do this, and then all of a sudden it kind of makes this shift from talking about this massive tree. Did you notice that it kind of started talking about him? That the, the messenger was talking about a person? So is the dream about a tree or about a man? That's the question we have. Even if you've read ahead and know the interpretation of the vision. It's a pretty strange dream, pretty bizarre. But don't miss the point. Don't be blinded by the psychedelic nature of the images flashing across the king's mind. The purpose of this dream is revealed by one of God's messengers in verse 17. This angel, I'm guessing, states clearly what God wants the king to understand and why he needs to know it. It was, verse 17, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. God is showing the man on Babylon's throne who's the boss, who's in control, who holds the power, and it's God, not the king. God can raise men up or humble them. He is trustworthy in this. Paul, at the beginning of Romans 13 says this on the matter. You can follow along if you'd like. Romans 13, 1 through 5. I think this is an important New Testament application here. Romans 13, starting at verse 1, says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Now, there's a lot there, I know, but I think you can see that God is over all. There are no rulers except those he's appointed for his purposes, good or bad. This is true. Let's pause for a moment of application. We don't need to get worked up about what's going on politically in our own nation or around the world. We don't have to fear or fret over the actions of benevolent or tyrannical men or women of import. Why? Because God is in charge and he is trustworthy. He will humble those rulers who need to be humbled. Right? Rather than stew over or rant about those that he's put over us, we can pray for them. We are, in fact, commanded to do so in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where Paul writes this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. You want peace? Pray for Ukrainian President Zelensky and for Russian President Putin. Both of them need God's guidance, don't they? God, bring about peace. That's what our prayer is. God, direct the thoughts and the actions of these men and those who are advising them. God, help them to choose your path. That's what we want. We want your peace. Humble each man, each leader, each advisor to bring about your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read a bit more of this story of Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to find out now what Nebuchadnezzar's dream means. Beginning at verse 19, Daniel's back on screen telling the king what God revealed through his dream. And rather than read all of the thing, we're going to start at verse 24 and read through verse 28. This is the meat of the interpretation. All we're missing is Daniel telling the king that he wishes the dream was about somebody else, like his enemies, instead of about the king. Our friend Daniel is disturbed by the meaning revealed by God. So let's read Daniel 4, 24 through 27. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to lead the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. God's warning is clear. Disaster is coming for the king personally. Daniel's advice is just as clear. He says, renounce your sin, stop oppressing people, do the right thing. Maybe God will let you continue. So God, through Daniel, is inviting King Nebuchadnezzar to humble himself. 
He's inviting him to care for his subjects, the citizens of his kingdom, those he's captured, those he's enslaved. Way back four or five years after I started in ministry, God confronted me about the way that I was treating the people in the church. He did so as I was reading God's rebuke of the leaders of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 34. And I'm just going to read verses 4 through 6 of that chapter. He's talking to the religious leaders of the day and to the king and to all those who had authority. And he says this, You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Now, when I read those words, I was struck by the things that God cared about. He cared about the weak and the sick and the injured, the strays, the lost, the scattered. These were the very people the leaders of God were neglecting. And I realized that I was in the same boat, that God could have said those things about me because I was way too self-focused, way too worried about the things that mattered to me and not enough caring about what was going on in other people's lives. Humbled by God, I prayed for forgiveness and his guidance in caring for the weak and the injured and the scattered and the lost and committed myself to following him in caring for people. Now, I know that I'm not perfect in this way even today. I still get self-absorbed from time to time, way more often than I like, but I care far more about others than I did before this. Yeah, God, help me to grow in compassion and care for your church. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar should have listened. He could have learned if he'd humbled himself and heeded Daniel's words. He didn't either. In the next verses of Daniel 4, we find God's prophetic words fulfilled. Listen as I read verses 28 through 33. What God does to humble this proud man is pretty drastic. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? You notice the self-absorbed bent of that statement. Verse 31, Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. The king would not humble himself, so God humbled him, causing him to lose his mind. That's what you see here. 
When I see myself as the creator of my own success, or when you see yourself as a creator of your own success, when you believe yourself greater than you are, or when you set yourself up as your own God, the Most High God, who is actually the Great One, can be trusted to humble you. Are you a self-made man? We like self-made people in America, don't we? Listen, self-made men are headed for face plants. If you like your nose, you need to consider your ways. Listen to God and repent of your pride. If you don't, be prepared to eat grass. If you will not humble yourself, God will humble you. As I said earlier, he is fully trustworthy in this. Nebuchadnezzar's plight is your wake-up call. Mine too. We've been warned, alerted by this narrative, and given advice by Daniel that's good to follow. King Solomon in, in Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Big fall or little, God's going to bring about those things when we exalt ourselves rather than humble ourselves. James quotes another proverb. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble in chapter 4 of his letter to the church and then suggests a plan of action similar to the one we saw Daniel offer to Nebuchadnezzar before his fall. This is what we have in James 4, 7 to 10. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's a picture of repentance. Hating our sin, turning from it, allowing God to lift us up then. And that's the part to the story we're going to get to now. The lifting up part is what we're going to see as we close out Daniel chapter 4. Let's read a bit more. We're going to start at verse 34. At the end of that time, that is the seven times that had been decreed for Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is what it looks like when God gives grace. A lot of grace, which is the amount that I need. How about you? Yeah? If it wasn't for God's grace and his mercy, I'd be a bigger mess than I already am. He's cleared up a bunch of stuff, and he's still working on me, humbling me as needed so that I can serve him and his people better. Paul wrote these simple words to believers in 
Philippians 1, 6, he says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's good news. That, that means that there's hope for all of us. He's going to keep working and keep working and keep working and bringing about that righteous life so that Jesus can be seen in each of us, even in you. God is able to change me either by allowing me to humble myself or by humbling me. He is able to do good things in your life and the lives of all those around you in both of those ways as well. A pastor whose podcast I listen to calls difficult people, those who haven't humbled themselves or been humbled, ERGs, stands for Extra Grace Required. You've got people like that in your life, don't you? Extra grace required. EGRs show up in my life often enough. I'm probably an EGR more often than I imagine. Because God has been gracious to me, I want to be gracious to others. When people get on my last nerve, I have a choice, don't I? Gentleness or grumbliness. I pray that I'll be able to give as much grace as I've received. A lot. So consider now what God wants to do in your life. Because remember, we're focusing on God in this, and we're seeing God as trustworthy. He was trustworthy when they decided they were going to diet differently, the little things. He was trustworthy when Daniel needed to know the king's dream because the king wasn't telling anybody. He gave it to him in, in impossible things. He was faithful last week in fiery things when there was judgment coming immediately and people were threatening the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he's trustworthy. I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but in humbling things, in the places where we need to be humbled, he's faithful to humble us if we won't do it ourselves. That's God. So consider what God wants to do in your life. Is there some area you need to give over to him, a sin that you need to turn away from? Is pride creeping in? Repent. If you will not humble yourself, God is trustworthy. He will humble you so that you can serve him and others better. And isn't that what you want? If I'm letting pride get in the way, then I certainly want God to humble me. Is there someone, on the other hand, that you need to pass God's grace along to? Can you humbly ask God for patience with them so that you can give grace where you've received it? I encourage you to talk to God and let him guide you as you think on and pray about all that you've heard and learned today. Allow him to speak to you. Listen to him. Humble yourself before the Lord, it said. Remember in James? Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. God, we are not always faithful, but you are. God, we put our faith in you and trust that when we need to be humbled, you know 
what will do it, and we trust you to do it with grace and to point us in the right direction. God, help us. God, help us to see our faults so that we can make changes in our hearts and in our actions. God, help us to treat others the way that you treat us with grace and mercy. God, convict us of sin where we need to be convicted and help us to be obedient to your Holy Spirit's leading. You are indeed trustworthy, God. We acknowledge it again today that you are trustworthy in all things. And God, we do pray along uh, the lines of what we talked about today, that you would do your work in the lives of those who are in authority over us. We pray for our president and for Congress and for our governor and for all those who are in authority over us. God, that they would hear your voice, they would obey you. And God, where they miss it, I pray, God, that you would humble them at the same time giving them your grace and helping them to see your truth and to follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.